I think one of the things that, uh, that I struggle with as a Christian and even and as a preacher as well is how do you describe Jesus? How, how do you bring him to a congregation in a fresh way? And I think what I've come to see this week is you can't. I can't. But the Holy Spirit is able. And so that's our prayer. Our prayer today is we are going to open the Word of God. We're going to read it. I'm going to do my best to explain it and, and shed some light on it. But ultimately, what we're going to do is we're going to enter into prayer and say, Lord, send your Spirit and help us to see Jesus as He really is. Climactically, about halfway through the Gospels, Jesus gathered His disciples around Him and He said, Who do you say that I am? And for the first half of of His ministry, they probably wouldn't have been able to exactly say, well, we think you're a good teacher. You're a, a, a rabbi. We want to follow you, be discipled by you. But somewhere along the line, as they were watching Jesus be Jesus, the Father drew them by the Holy Spirit and opened their eyes. And and Peter himself says, you are the Son of the living God, the Messiah. And and Jesus looked at him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood cannot make such professions of faith. But you know this because you have been drawn by my Father. We live in a world where everyone knows the name of Jesus, but not everyone knows who He is. And so the question is still the dominant question of every person's life. Who do you say I am? And Jesus comes to you and to me and to all of our neighbors and co-workers and family members and friends And says, who do you say that I am? And the way in which we answer that question has eternal significance. Eternal significance. Life and death. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. It's the only examination or test that matters in our life. The world would say, well, I think Jesus was a prophet. There's lots of people that say that or a good teacher, or a good moral man, or an inspiration, or something like that. Well, C.S. Lewis, and I don't know if, if he was the first, but he, he's made it popular, he has, has very plainly said, you cannot say such things of Jesus. Because Jesus claimed so much more for Himself. Jesus claimed to be equal to the Father. He claimed to have full status as the divine Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to have authority to forgive sins. He, he rose people back to life. He healed the blind. He gave a hearing to the deaf, all of which is a fulfillment to the prophecies, especially I think about the book of Isaiah, which talks about God's Messiah. And so C.S. Lewis says, Jesus Himself has not left the category of good moral teacher open to us. Jesus had to have either been a liar, He claimed to be someone that He was not, or He was a lunatic. He, He thought that He was equal to God. He thought He was God in human flesh, but He was wrong. He was just insane. Or... He really is the Lord of glory. 
Who do you say that Jesus is? A liar? A lunatic? Or the Lord? Today we're going to look at these four verses that have already been read for us. And it becomes very clear that He is the Lord of glory. And so let us pause now, invite the Holy Spirit, ask Him to take something that we already know and and just... Allow that to fuel our faith, to, to, to light us up inside so that we can go out into the world as His ambassadors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Lord of glory who came to save sinners, of which we are counted among those who have been saved. Lord, as we take a look at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, we ask that You would help us to revel in these glorious truths about who Jesus is. Because such statements are foundational to a life of worship. To a life of service. They're the, the, the ground and the foundation of our evangelism. And they are the hope that we carry with us until our dying breath knowing that You will not betray us or, or, or abandon us in the grave. But this very same Jesus who came back to life, who walked out of the tomb three days after being dead and buried, will call for us and we will rise and we will be transformed and we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. And now though we see through a mirror dimly, help us to see with greater clarity the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we behold Him and gaze upon Him, would You transform us from one degree of glory to another? We rely on You to minister to us, Holy Spirit. Come and do Your work. Glorify Jesus and the Father and build up Your church. In the name of our Christ. Amen. I want to read again these beautiful four verses. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. From these four verses, what do we learn about the Son of God? We learn much. We learn that He is God's spokesman. That He is the heir of all things. That He created the world. 
that He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. That He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. That He made purification for sins. And then we know that He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And finally, we know that He is superior to angels. Our goal today is to just look at every one of these and to just be astonished at who Jesus is. This uh, book begins by the statements, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so this is really affirming the Old Testament Scriptures. So this New Testament book, which roots itself, as we'll see over the next many weeks and months, roots itself so deeply in the Old Testament, is affirming that the Old Testament is God's divine Word, and God shared much of Himself to us through the prophets, different prophets who spoke at different times in different ways. So there's much to learn about God through the Old Testament. Climactically, though, we find that in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. His Son. The Old Testament would have been enough, at least to hold us accountable, to say, look, God has revealed Himself. He's he's told us what we need to know. Now, nothing in the Old Covenant would have been sufficient to save us from, from our sins, which we'll see in a moment as we go down the list. But but before we even look at the cross, before we even consider the atonement, we have God saying, I am going to reveal Myself in a way that far surpasses My divine Word in creation. My divine Word through the prophets. I'm going to send My own Son. And He's going to be My spokesman. You go back to John's Gospel and we're told that, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth has been revealed through Jesus Christ. So the Old Covenant is good, it's foundational, it's necessary, but, but God wasn't content to just stop there. And, and a, a view of the Trinity is very helpful here as we, we recognize that, that God Himself is one, but He is one God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So God spoke to us in many ways in many time, at many times through the prophets. God, Father, Son, and Spirit revealed Himself in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament through the prophets. But, now we could read this, that He spoke to us by His Son, which it says... But what we know and what the rest of these verses are going to go on to show us is that God Himself came to us and spoke directly to us face to face. And of course, I'm, I'm depending on Trinitarian theology to make such a claim. The Father did not come, but the Son came and the Son is God. The Son is God. So, if you were to see Jesus Christ walking through the streets of Galilee some 2,000 years ago, and you looked on His face, you would behold the living God face to face. We have to have a high view of the Incarnation. 
And so God himself has the Father sent his Son. What? That's one way to say it. Or we could say that the Trinitarian God came himself in the person of the Son to speak directly to us as the spokesman for the triune God. Jesus is God's spokesman. Jesus is the Word of God. That's how, how we learn about Him in the beginning of John's Gospel. And, and if you go to John's Gospel and you go to the book of Genesis, we see the power of the Word of God. The Word of God is, is power. And yet it was contained in the, the body of a man. And He came and He spoke to us. And when He speaks, that is Jesus. His words are equal in every way to the words of God the Father, equal in every way to the words of God the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we know about the Bible then, because we call this the Word of God, so it's getting a little bit complicated. We have, we have God in heaven who has spoken through prophets. We have, we have God who spoke the universe into existence. And then we have the Word of God, the Son who became a man and spoke to us. But we know that this also has the status of the Word of God because Jesus... The Word of God who took on flesh, who is equal to the Father and the Spirit, who is the Son, came and He said in John 10.35, the Scriptures, referring to this book, cannot be broken. And he was speaking there in reference to an obscure passage in Psalm 82, verse 6. And so the spokesman for God has given his divine stamp of authority on this book. And so we look to it as the very words of Jesus Christ, at least the words affirmed by him, authoritative for us. What is the result? The result is that Jesus gives the Bible divine authority. Therefore, it is sufficient. It's all we need. We don't get to see Jesus face to face, not yet. But He hasn't left us alone. We know He sent His Holy Spirit. But He also left a literary deposit of His words for us that we can read it. And this is where, we don't need to go into this too much, but as Christians, we need to think this over and, and challenge ourselves. If God said, I will open the heavens and come down and I will speak with you, would you take that appointment? If Jesus Himself said, I know that I've ascended on high, but I, I will come down and I will come into your room and I will just sit with you for an evening and you can ask me whatever you want to ask me, would you invite Him into your room? But do you know His words are sitting on your shelf beside your bed? So you just take it and you open it. Let me just ask a question. Why? Why would we desire so much more to watch The Price is Right? Right? Or Ellen? Or anything? Will we have the words of Jesus Christ written in a book? Now, is, is it wrong to watch TV? No, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I, I have my shows. But, but honestly, let's just pause and be honest with ourselves. Why is it? Why is it that our thirst for the words of God are so 
easily quench? Why don't we thirst for this and hunger for this? Jesus is God's spokesman. He has given His divine stamp of authority on this book. This book is in our bedroom. Let's read it. Let's share it. When you see a good movie, what do you do? You tell everyone, got to go see that movie. When you have the words of the living God in your possession, what should you do with them? You've got to see this. You've got to see this. It'll change your life. Jesus is God's spokesman. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. Second thing that we learn about Jesus, He is the heir of all things. Now what is an heir? In order to understand what this means, and this is very peculiar because He's God. But he's also the heir of all things. An heir is someone who inherits something. The two words go together. So the heir is the inheritor. I don't think that's a word, but putting it together for you. So the heir is the one who inherits the estate. So the heir inherits something either at the death of the master or when the, when the heir comes of age. And so we're told that, that Jesus in His incarnation became the heir of all things. So we know that God created all things. And then God who created all things, and we're talking about everything on earth, every penny, every blade of grass, every tree, every mountain, every ocean, every star, every galaxy, the whole universe, and all of the riches therein, God created it all. And then God said, I'm going to give it to one person. And Jesus, the Son of God, became a man. He took on flesh. And then the Father says, I give it to you. You are the heir of all things. It's yours. This universe that has been created by God, has been given to Jesus Christ. And He is the heir. The one and only heir. I mean, caveat, we're coming up. The the heir decides to share his inheritance with all those who put their faith in him. That's an astounding thing to do. Would you do that? When you get an estate next year, are you going to share it with the church? Be careful, Ananias and Sapphira. (laughs) Don't say yes and then not do it. <laughs> or hold some back from yourself. But you know, it's an astounding thing. An astounding thing that the heir of all things, the, the owner, I think is a word that we could put, for the whole universe, is the one man, Jesus Christ. What's the result of this reality? If we, if we truly understand this, this changes. You know, one of the things that we in the West struggle with, we don't struggle with a lot of things that in other parts of the world they struggle with. Idolatry in the sense of worshiping idols is not a real big hang-up in North America. There are some people who bring their idolatrous religions here to North America, but most of us are not bowing down to carved images. We're just not. It's not our hang-up. 
It's not our, our major problem. Now, we have a form of idolatry, though, right? And that's greed. Paul will equate idolatry and greed together. And, and so materialism in the West is a real problem for us. Even, even sanctified believers who are on a journey of being transformed into the glory of God, we struggle with materialism. We struggle to own things. I'll give you an example. Where in the Bible does it say you have to own your house? Jesus, what did Jesus say? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you want to follow me? But, but in Canadian culture, that's just step five of a ten-step process of life, right? You get to an age, you buy a house. I'm not saying it's wrong to buy a house. But... When it becomes the absolute necessity of our life in order to feel that we've achieved the bare minimum of what Canadians achieve for themselves, then then we've gone slightly off track. I just give that as an example. Let me give you another example. Our darling four-year-old Selah, she knows how to possess something. So we'll buy her something, a little toy, maybe a coloring book or a little... She just got a little uh, Canada flag pin. And uh, yesterday, I was just, I didn't want her to lose it. We were getting out of the van, and I knew she was going to drop it and forget that she would be sad because she was very excited about this pin. So I'm trying to take it from her. And she says, It's mine. <laughs> and she does that all the time. Like, uh, Angel will buy her something, and she'll say, No, Mom, that's mine. And so then we have to remind her, Well, actually, who gave you? That thing that you say is yours. She needs a little coaching on this. But it's mom and dad. So it actually belongs to mom and dad. But we're giving it to you. We're allowing you to use it. But we're trying to teach her not to be too possessive of things. Now, mom and dad, we have to be careful too. Who gave to us? Jesus. Who is the heir of all things? Who owns the universe? It's not me. It's not you. Not yet. It's Jesus. Everything we own, now listen to this, God has given to Jesus. Everything we own, God has given to Jesus. Jesus owns your house. Jesus owns your car. Jesus owns your clothes. Jesus owns owns your bank account. Everything that you own, the Bible says Jesus actually is the heir of all things. He's the owner and He has given it to us to use. Now, if we truly believe that, how does that change the way we live our life? How does that change the grasp that we have on our possessions? All of a sudden, we we have to very humbly recognize that we're clinging on to something the way the four-year-old clings on to her possessions, and there's no difference. And we have to say, God, help us to loosen our grip. And then, and then the response is not that we have to get rid of it, right? Because if we give it to somebody else, Jesus still owns it over there. But we, we keep it in open hands and we say, oh, Lord Jesus, you have a beautiful house that you're letting me live in. See the difference? And it just changes everything about the way we approach material possessions. It also, by the way, 
is the only way that we'll ever become a fellowshipping community. And fellowship meaning common life where we share our possessions, where I could give you my car if you needed a car. I'm not quite there yet, but I, I, <laughs> I would like to be. But I have to remember that Jesus owns my car, right? And then if you have a need, then it's, it's just all of us shuffling around Jesus' possessions. And it's actually not that big a deal that I'm giving you something so great. Because it's just Jesus taking it from me and giving it to you. Jesus is the heir of all things. He owns everything that you think you own. Now this puts, this is very dangerous. If we were to just preach a sermon on Jesus, the heir of all things, this opens us up to a potential heresy which says that Jesus is a creature. Because you think about God created all things and then He gave it to Jesus. You would think then Jesus is created by God who receives God's creation. But we go on here and we find out that Jesus not only is He the the heir of all things, but He is the creator of all things. He created the world. So He creates everything and then... The Father gives it to Him. Now, see, this is where Trinitarian theology is absolutely essential. So the way that it's written here is this. He he is appointed the heir of all things. And then, just to make sure that we don't fall into heresy, the author of the book of Hebrews says, oh, and also, by the way, it's through Him also that He, that is God, created the world. So one way to say this is that the Father is the creator of the world and He created through Jesus. But another way to say this is that Father, Son, and Spirit are the one creator God. And what we learn in many different places, and we see it here, is that Jesus is the creator. If you go back to John's Gospel, John says that all things have been created by Him. And nothing that exists was created without His creative work. Jesus, in His pre-incarnate form, so the pre-incarnate Son of God, participated with the Father and the Spirit in the creation of all things. He is the Creator. So just in case we're prone to think of Jesus as somehow lesser than God the Father, uh, perhaps He's a preeminent creature, we're told that God created the world through Him. And I, let me just go back just very quickly. We don't have time for too long a sojourn here, but I love this. John 1, just listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He was in the beginning with God. That is before creation. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Take the information that we learn in those verses and go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did He do it? And God said, let there be light. God said, who's the Word of God? Jesus. The Word, the creative Word 
that brought light on the first day is Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we have here. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Father said, through the Son, let there be life outside of God. And there was life outside of God, and God said, that is light. I'll let you mull that over on your own, but I just give that to you. Jesus is the creator of all things. And the very first thing that God did in creation was to establish life that is drawn from Him, but exists other than Him. In Him was life. That's what we learned. The source of life is Jesus. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the life that was in Jesus, the source of all life, is the light. You see the connection? Amazing. So Jesus created the world. That's, I, that, that whole detour is just to say that. Jesus created the world along with the Father and the Spirit. So, so God, Father, Son, and Spirit creates the universe. And if you go back to Genesis 2, who did they give the universe to? Or I guess at the end of chapter 1, Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image. And man, that is male and female, will have dominion over all things. Do you know who the original heir of creation was? It was Adam and Eve, and then they sinned. And so Jesus had to become a son of Adam to take back what Adam and Eve had forfeited by the fall. And so in the incarnation, the Father and the Son and the Spirit would agree to this because they have one will. But the Father says, I am giving the universe back to humanity. I'm giving it back to the Son of God who became a man. So Jesus, the Creator, becomes the heir of all things. What's the result of this? Jesus is both our Creator, and now because of the fall and because He became a man to take back what Adam and Eve had lost, so humanity has received back creation in the possession of the Son of God, He is also our landlord. We live within a creation that He owns. We are but His tenants in creation. Except the promise of the Gospel, and we've gone over this, is Jesus says, I am making all things new. And what Jesus, who is both Creator and Heir, is doing is He is creating a family of us so that we can be co-heirs with Christ. Do you see how astonishing that is? God created the world through Jesus, gave it to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve lost it. So God becomes a man, takes it back, and He's really the only heir now because we're all sinners and we're in equal forfeiture of creation as Adam and Eve. And then He says, but I am doing something in you so that I can give it back to you, so that I can share it with you. And that's the new heavens and the new earth. That God is going to recreate all things in glory and give it to us. <laughs> wow. 
As of right now, let us just remember, but we are but His tenants in creation with a hope of a glorious inheritance to come provided we endure until the end. Moving on to our next item of who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Well, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance and the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. I don't know that we need to spend much time on this, though we could. Translation, He's God. Next time you're, you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, open this up. Look, He's the Creator. He is also the radiance and the glory of God. Not... Not a not like a moon, right? I love this. I've just recently thought about this, why it comes up every sermon now. The sun generates its own heat and its own light. And that heat and light and energy radiates from the sun. Now, light that we see here is sunlight, but it's actually just bouncing off things, right? So you look at the glory of the moon, and the glory of the moon, the light that we get from the moon, you know on those bright, bright nights and the, and the moon is full and it, it lights up everything? That is not the exact radiance of the sun. It is a reflection of the radiance of the sun, right? So the sunlight comes, hits the moon, and bounces to earth, and we see the moon, and by looking to the moon, we know that there is another source of light, That's not what this is saying. It's saying Jesus isn't a reflection of the radiance and the glory of God. He's saying He is the radiance and the glory of God. That is, if if God is metaphorically the sun, the light and the heat and the energy that comes from the sun, which is authentic to the sun, we're talking S-U-N here, It's the same as the sun, and it's the glory of the sun. That's Jesus. He comes from the Father, and He is one with the Father, just like the sunlight that comes from the sun is one with the sun and is the sun. He is the glory of God, not a shadow of the glory. The Old Covenant talked about the shadows. He is the glory of God. Another way to say that is He is God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. When you you look at Jesus Christ walking around as a man, you see God. Not an imitation or a metaphor or a picture of God, but God Himself. So radiance is this idea of light, And glory is this idea of substance and weightiness. When you see the, when you see the glory of Jesus, you see the substance of, of the Father. The weightiness of the Father. The sovereignty. Jesus, when he's walking around on earth, now he's in heaven and now, then he's going to return. Wherever he is, he carries with him the authority and the sovereignty of God. That's why all of the demons were afraid of him. Oh, don't, you know, don't cast me into the sea. Put me in the pigs. Like these, these demons knew who Jesus was and is. The exact imprint of God's nature. The Nicene Creed says it this way We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
begotten of the Father, only begotten. That is the unique. There's no one like him. That is, he is of the substance of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made. There was never a time when there was no Son of God. It's always been Father, Son, and Spirit. He is of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, things in heaven and things on earth. That's an ancient creed from the 4th century that we still hold to today. Well, the result is fairly self-evident then. Jesus is fully God. And anyone who denies the full divinity of Jesus Christ denies God. You cannot... You cannot believe in the one true God and deny Jesus His full divinity. Which means that that Jews who deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that deny that He is fully God, they deny the God whom they call by His name, revealed name in the Old Covenant. They're actually denying God. It means Jehovah's Witnesses who just dwell to our left. So that's a satanic religion. Because they're denying God, though they have so many things that come so close. The Mormons to our right. That's a satanic religion. Because in denying the full divinity of Jesus Christ, they deny who God is. Close is only good in horseshoes and definitely not in religion. And so we need to go out and we need to be ready to to stand firm on the full divinity of of Jesus Christ. Moving on, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, not only is Jesus the creator of all things, he is also the sustainer of all things. Now, think about it this way the only reason that the universe does not implode right now and pass out of existence is because Jesus is right now commanding the universe not to implode and pass out of existence. The the universe is not self-existing. And that runs against a lot of science, right? Not that I would say that that's an a-scientific fact. I think that is the grounds of good science. I'm not a scientist. But a lot of scientists would say that there is some self-existence with the universe. Not so. Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. If Jesus says, universe, be sustained, the universe will be sustained. If Jesus says, um, moon, fall to the earth, the moon will fall to the earth. If Jesus says, Adam, draw breath today and tomorrow, I will draw breath today and tomorrow. If Jesus says, heart of Adam, beat today and beat tomorrow, my heart will beat today and my heart will beat tomorrow. But if Jesus says, Adam, today is your last day on earth, then today is my last day on earth. There's something profoundly comforting about this, isn't there? The universe will exist so long as Jesus wants it to exist. The universe will fall apart the moment Jesus wants the universe to fall apart. 
And every little thing that happens, your breath, why worry about the day of your death? Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Your days are numbered. And by worrying, you cannot add a single uh, moment to your day, not a minute, to your lifespan. Because when Jesus says, that's it, that's it. So don't worry. Live so long as Jesus says live and die when Jesus says die. It's easier said than done, but that's the place that we need to be as Christians. We need to get to that place because that's the place of perfect submission. That's the place of of perfect glorification of Jesus. Just allowing Him to make those decisions. And you know that when when He says this is your last day, He's going to call you home. The result... How awesome is Jesus? You, you think about all these superhero movies that are coming out in the theaters, like seems like 20 a year. And, and okay, that guy can run really fast. Uh, that person is really good with a bow and arrow. I don't really know my superheroes that well. That person can shoot webs from their hands. I know that one, Spider-Man. All, all very cool, right? Uh Superman is super so long as there's no kryptonite around. Uh, Jesus, I command the world to exist. It exists. I command the world to stop existing. It stops existing. And everything in between. You see, these superheroes, I think though, they are, they're coming out of a human spirit that knows something of Christ. And these superheroes are just poor imitations, just very weak shadows of who Jesus is. So what do we have to fear if you belong to Christ and Christ is in charge of all things? Why would we be afraid? Continuing on, Jesus made purification for sins. Now, this is jarring. We're cruising along, right? Jesus is God's spokesman. Jesus is the heir of all things. He owns everything. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. And then, so we have this massive vision of who Jesus is. And we're in awe of who He is. And then this. Jesus made purification for sins. How did He do that? With all of His divine raw power, how does Jesus make uh, purifications for sins? This glorious, divine, omnipotent, powerful, all-sovereign Jesus Christ, Master of the universe, becomes a weak little baby and grows up just like we grew up. And if we looked at Him, we wouldn't see God. I, I said earlier that if you looked at Jesus, you'd see God if you had eyes to see Him. But if we looked at Him with just the eyes of our flesh, we would say He's just sort of an unimpressive carpenter. That's how Jesus made purification for sins. By becoming a man. And then, voluntarily, through all of the suffering of his life, and there was, it wasn't just on the cross, it, it, his life of suffering, and you, you contrast the, the glory of, of Jesus in heaven to his life on earth where the high priests and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees just hated him. You know, his creatures. And he's kicking around in the mud and the dust with us. And then he says, okay, 
I'm perfect, but load me up with the sin of the world. I'll carry it. So, God, in some way that we don't fully understand, loads Jesus up with the sins of the world. And the burden was so great that Jesus sweat blood through his face. It was dripping off his face. That's the load of carrying sin. Then he goes and he has to watch people mock him. His back gets ripped off. He's dehydrated and bloody. All the while carrying the sins of the world from Adam until the last person to be born. And he carries those sins to Calvary. And the picture of Jesus falling, right? That's because he was physically exhausted. But God's doing more than that. He's trying to show us the burden of carrying the sins of humanity. But He makes it so they can drill stakes through His wrists and His feet so that He can hang there and suffocate to death. This is the Lord of glory. The all-powerful God and Creator of the universe. The heir of all things. He owned the cross when it was a tree. When it was but an acorn. And He owned the sun overhead and the faraway galaxies. And He hung on the cross for you and for me. Why? That was the only way to make purification for sins. To be murdered by His creatures. The paradox of who Jesus is and what Jesus did is impossible for us to fully grasp or appreciate. And yet, what we can understand, we must meditate on that. What's the result of this? If Jesus, the all-powerful God of the universe who owns all things, goes to the cross and says on the cross, it is finished, then it is finished. Well, what does that mean? It means that if you put your faith in Him, your sins are forgiven. They've been dealt with. They've been punished. They've been buried. They, they, they will no longer stand against you on that day when you come face to face with God. So if the God and Creator and Heir of all things says it is finished, if He says your sins are forgiven, then they are forgiven indeed. And if He can forgive you, can you not forgive yourself? For who are we to say that His sacrifice was not enough? Do you struggle with that? Do you, do you find it difficult to forgive yourself? Because you know, you know you fall short. And when you see the glory of God and His expectations, 
You say, I just am not there. And then what I want you to hear then is, is Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. And I have done this for the forgiveness of your sins. And more than that, I did this so that I could share my inheritance with you. I am the only true heir. And yet, come and share in my inheritance. Take from me. If Jesus says it is finished, can we not forgive one another? Who has hurt you? If, if the all-powerful God of the universe, creator, sustainer, heir of all things, says it is over, can we not forgive one another? One of the most tragic things in the Christian heart is resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. And if, if you're struggling with that, which I do from time to time myself, you need to refresh yourself on the Gospel. It's an indication that the Gospel has gone dark in your heart. Now, it hasn't gone out, but it's just flickering ever so dimly. And if you could just fan that flicker into a flame, then all of a sudden it will become much easier to extend forgiveness to one another. So it's a gauge for us to see how bright is the Gospel shining in our hearts. We are then told that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having made purification for sins by dying on the cross, God raised Him from the dead. He appeared to 500 witnesses and then He ascended into heaven where He is right now. And what is He doing? He is seated on a throne. This has a couple of connotations to it. One, the throne is an image of, of power right, and of reigning. He is the King. He is reigning from heaven. Uh, crucified, resurrected, glorified. He is the King. And as the heir of the universe, He sits on the throne of the universe at the center of all reality, at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just a little side note on that. Uh, we don't like to say older men or older women because our culture says, you know, if there's something wrong about that because you're you're growing older. Do you know what God calls Himself? The Ancient of Days. So, I don't know. We don't like older men, older women. What do we, Ancient women? <laughs> do you want to be ancient women? Ancient men? I mean, to be old, to be ancient is a, is a godly thing. Even in the unsaved, unsaved elders ought to be respected. Because as they grow older, there's something even in the unsaved heart to be revered, not to be worshipped, but to, to say there's something good about growing older. We should show respect. And I don't know how our culture has flipped it upside down, but it's an it's a awful thing. So let's take back older men, older women. It's a good thing. Uh, I don't know, where did I? Oh yeah, uh, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, I, 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 the side of the ancient of days, having made purification by sins. 
Uh, so he's reigning from that position. And the right hand of God the Father, the right hand is the place of authority. So God has given all authority to Jesus Christ. But it also has a liturgical connotation that if you go to the tabernacle or the temple, as the priests were doing their work, so he's seated as a king, but he's also seated as the high priest. And, and we'll see that in the book of Hebrews. Um, there was no seat in the tabernacle. There was no seat in the temple. Why? Because the work of the priest was never done. They just had to do it again tomorrow and next week and next new moon and next Sabbath and next feast and festival, next day of atonement, just never ending over and over again. But, but when Jesus went up as the king of the universe and as the high priest of all reality, he sat down. Because he already made the point on the cross, it is finished. Nothing left to do. So we don't need to strive. There's the result, right? We don't need to strive to be right with God in our own works. I fell into this myself, and I've shared this with you before, is okay, I, I get that I'm saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. It's not my own doing. That seems to make sense when you come to faith. And yet, five years later, ten years later, aren't we trying to maintain what was given to us for free? Aren't we trying to maybe add something? Well, I would like God to have a little extra favor in my direction. You can't have more favor than what was purchased for you on the cross. That's it. That's, that is full favor. That is absolute forgiveness. There's now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. How much less condemnation do you want than no more condemnation? It's done. Your sins are buried. They're gone. They're over. You're righteous. Don't earn anything. And whatever you do, you do it to worship. It's worship. It's it's from glad and generous hearts because you can't believe it. It's done. I can't add to this. It's over. So I, I do this because I want to. I want to. But I'm not any better than I was before. I'm not any more righteous than I was before. I'm not maintaining something. I'm doing it because that's just the marks of the work of the Holy Spirit by grace in my heart. That, that is different. Jesus sat down. We should let Him sit. Rest from our striving. The work is done. Rest in Christ and live for Christ. Finally, Jesus is superior to angels. This is what we're going to talk about next week, so we won't talk about it now. Except to say, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons have some sort of theory that Jesus is a preeminent angel. So I don't know, I don't know what they do with Hebrews 1. But what we're going to see is He's no angel. He is God. The identity of Jesus. The way we answer this question, who do you say that I am? It's the only question that matters in your entire life. What will you do with Jesus? 
The identity of Jesus is the basis of everything that we believe. And as we see, as we go through the book of Hebrews, this was very important as our first piece because everything is built on this. It's the foundation of all of our behavior. Praise be to God. Think about these things. Consider who Jesus is. Don't grow cold in your relationship with Him. But know that He's an infinite person worthy of infinite exploration. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, You are our God and we worship You. We thank You that You are God's ultimate spokesman. You are the heir of all things that You have taken back for humanity what we lost in the fall. That You own all things, every far off galaxy, everything that is close and at hand. Help us to loosen our grip on our so-called possessions. We affirm that You are the Creator of the world. And as Creator, You are the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. We thank You, Lord, that You uphold the universe by the word of Your power. You say sustain, and the universe sustains. You keep our hearts beating. You keep us drawing in breath. We thank You for that. Help us to just surrender ourselves to Your omnipotent power to sustain us. Lord Jesus, after affirming these things, it's it's very hard for us to understand how Your glory and Your role as Redeemer fit together. But we do affirm that You made purification for sins by Your own blood through Your own body on the cross. And we affirm with you that it is finished, that you have sat down at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, the Majesty who is on high, as the King of the universe, the High Priest of all reality. Therefore, of course, you are far superior to angels. Your name is above all names. Today we bow our knees and proclaim you to be our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.